I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty, Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Your holster is way more important than you think it is. It's just way more important than you think it is. What, look, and I get that. The holster's not the sexy part of carrying firearms, right? You want to talk about your weapon and your ammunition. You, you want to talk about your safety training. You want to talk about how you did at the range. Oh, look at my groups. I was doing these failure drills today. And all that stuff's really important. I mean, really, really important. I'm not discounting that. But I've known so many people who do all those things. They take all the necessary steps, and then they carry with a holster they bought from a big box hunting store that was made a thousand at a time. Please, don't put your life in one of those holsters. You need to trust Northwest Retention Systems because it's all custom-made gear. It's the only thing I carry around. nwretention.com, that's nwretention.com. Use the promo code JESSE, get you 10% off. This is The Jesse Kelly Show. What if I told you there was a dude who had seen some horrible things in his life, had done some horrible things, I'm talking violence, death, Torture, plague, a life that was 
ugly. And this dude was hard as nails by now. Had seen it all, had done it all, had lived through it all, hard as nails. And this dude came across the site. He came across something that terrified him so much that he turned around and went back home. Would you want to know what that something is? I'll tell you in a few. 1431 or 1428 or 1429. Look, that's my way of saying we don't know. Nobody knows. But a young man was born and his name was Vlad. Now, Vlad's father, his name was also Vlad. And they lived in Wallachia or Wallachia, depending on how you pronounce it. I say Wallachia because I think it sounds cooler. They lived in Wallachia. You need to think Romania. That's what we're talking about here, Romania. And Vlad the Elder, well, he was a Christian. Wallachia was a Christian kingdom. This is the 1400s, keep in mind. We're talking popes, Holy Roman Empire, crusades, all these things. So you had all these Christian nations of Europe. Well, Romania, if you look at a little map... Sits just northwest of Turkey. What was Turkey back in the day? The Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire at this time was easily, and I mean easily, the most powerful nation on earth. It was also Muslim. And these are the days, these are long before the days of religious tolerance These are the days of, oh, you're a Muslim? Let me cut your face off. And when you're in the Ottoman Empire, oh, this guy's a Christian. Let us saw him in half. That's the kind of times we're talking about. Now, Europe, for the reasons I just stated, they hate the Ottoman Empire. They view it as their mission from God to take the Ottoman Empire. The Ottoman Empire... The Muslims view it as their mission from God to take Europe. And look, let's be honest. Let's let's just boil this down. That's easy to say now. A lot of this, yes, I'm sure religion came into play. A lot of this was powerful men doing the same thing powerful men have done throughout the history of mankind, which is what? Gain even more power. That's what powerful men want. So when you're in Europe and you're like, we should take the Ottomans from those Muslims. What you're really saying is, I could use some more territory and they've got some sweet spices over there. And equally, when you're the Muslim sultan and you're talking about, we should should do a jihad against those dirty Christians who don't believe in Muhammad. I'm sure you believe that, but part of you is like, I mean, they have some really sweet mountains up there too. Wouldn't mind a little castle in there. Let's just be honest about it. Nevertheless, you have Wallachia. So Europe is a piece of bread. The Ottoman Empire is a piece of bread. And you need to think of Wallachia as a big old piece of ham right in between. It is the gateway into Europe. It's the gateway into the Ottoman Empire. 
which is not a lovely place to be. Vlad, the senior, was nominated, entered, however you want to put it. He was put into the Order of the Dragon, which was a Christian group made to fight Muslims. And that's what Dracul meant. Vlad Dracul. Dracul meant dragon. And his son, little Vlad, was called Vlad Dracula, meaning son of the dragon. Yes, in case you're wondering, all those Dracula movies you've seen, all the vampire movies, they all came from Mr. Vlad Dracula. And once I get done telling his little tale, you'll have a pretty good idea why. He was actually a real person. He did not have fangs. He also killed more people in his lifetime than any fictional Dracula ever dreamt of. And frankly, killed them in worse ways. So you're Vlad Dracul. Again, you're Vlad the Senior. You get word that actually some people in Hungary, some people in Europe, are going to try to overthrow your throne and they're kicking you out and you don't get to be king anymore and you get super mad about it. So where do you turn? Well, remember, you're the ham in between these two pieces of bread. And if one of those pieces of bread is coming at you, Christian or not, you turn to the other one. And he went on down to the Ottoman Empire and talked to the Sultan. And he brought his two little sons along. His seven-year-old son, Radu, and his 11-year-old son, Vlad. Hey, Sultan. I would really, really love it if you could give me some army and some dudes and give me my throne back. And if you do that, obviously, I'll be paying tribute to you. And the sultan said, you know, that actually works for me. I'd love to have a little vassal kingdom up there. Here's the thing, though. Uh, If you want your throne back, you're going to have to leave me your sons. Now, that probably sounds crazy to you. But understand this, that was common practice back in the day to leave hostages, hostages that were close to you with people you entered into some kind of an agreement or a treaty with. Now, when I say hostages, understand something. They weren't thrown in a dungeon. They weren't held at knife point. When you would leave these hostages, mutually agreed upon hostages, they were oftentimes treated extremely well. And I mean extremely well. Nevertheless, you did leave them. And not only did you leave them, you left them with somebody your sons have grown up hating because your entire life, if you're Vlad Dracul, you're Vlad the Dragon. You're the Christian guy who fights these Muslims. And now you take them down to the Muslim Sultan and you say, hey, boys, yeah, I mean, I like hanging out with you, but I don't like it as much as being a king. So you're going to have to stay with this guy that I've told you was a scumbag for your entire existence. Seven-year-old Radu, because he's seven and boys are a bit more pliable at seven, was like, oh, cool. Okay. Eleven-year-old Vlad, not so much. Radu was personable and kind. And again, they were treated very, very well. And we'll get to that in a moment. Radu was personable and kind. Vlad, not so much. Used to actually take beatings, not tortured, but beatings because he would rebel every possible way. However, the boys were treated well, fed well, educated well. 
educated on languages, educated on mathematics, educated on philosophy. The Muslim world back then especially was extremely educated, educated on warfare, all different kinds of warfare, educated on pain. And Vlad, being a bitter 11-year-old boy, took a liking to that, that education. All of it. And don't get me wrong, he soaked up all the warfare stuff, the languages, the philosophy. But little Vlad, he enjoyed those dungeons in the Ottoman Empire, watching the various ways they would hurt people, while also hating the Ottomans. And Vlad isn't going to be stuck in the Ottoman Empire forever. He's going to take a throne himself one day. Jesse Kelly. Vlad Dracul, Vlad the Senior, eventually goes back, takes command of Wallachia, and look, this story is endlessly complicated. I'm not going to bore you with all the details, but he dies, as we all will. Vlad the Younger takes off back, assumes the throne. Now, I didn't go into everything, but let's just say... There's been a lot of aristocrats in Wallachia during this period who screwed over Vlad's father, screwed over Vlad, did a lot of things you could probably say they should not do. When Vlad the Younger, Vlad Dracula, Vlad the Impaler, who I'm gonna, that's what I'm going to call him from now on, when he goes back home, his younger brother Radu stays in the Ottoman Empire, and Vlad hates him for this because Radu loves the Ottoman Empire. Well, Vlad the Impaler goes back home, assumes the throne, begins to win various battles he fights. Vlad the Impaler is a lot of things, and we're about to talk about those things, but a military genius is one of them. The dude was a stud in combat, a stud, and not only commanding, the guy had extensive hand-to-hand combat training in the Ottoman Empire. And word is that at least one of the people who tried to overthrow him got his head cut off by Vlad himself in combat. Vlad was a beast. And as I will explain to you as we move along here, brave, extremely brave. Kind of deranged, though, too. He takes the throne. Remember all those aristocrats? They were called boyars. But remember all those aristocrats who had screwed him over, screwed his father over? We're going to let bygones be bygones. Let us have a banquet, a gigantic Easter banquet. We will celebrate the fact that Christ is risen. Kind of. Instead, he brings 200 of these aristocrats and their wives and their children into a massive banquet hall. They feast and they drink. 
And then Vlad calls in all of his men where he seizes them. He takes the old and infirm, and he marches them outside and impales them on the spot. Now, before I continue going, I need to explain to you what impalement is. And I apologize. I will keep this as PG as I possibly can because I always want this to be a show you can listen to with your children. That's why I don't cuss so I don't use any vulgar stuff. However, I need to explain to you what it is, because it's probably much, much worse than you think. Impalement, it was done in several different ways, but the way Vlad did it was by far the most brutal, which is not very surprising. You see, you can impale somebody by sharpening a long wooden stick to a really sharp point and jamming that stick into their chest, out their back, and then propping them up on it. So they kind of hang there and kind of slide down it. If you can believe it, that is actually the very, very humane way to impale somebody. Because you can also do it the way Vlad chose to do it. Now, this is going to be a little rough. So kids, cover your ears. Parents, Hold down your breakfast. Vlad took a long wooden stick, and he didn't want the pointy end of it very sharp. In fact, he made sure the pointy end of it was pretty stinking blunt. He would lay you down. He would, depending on the circumstances, either place the blunt end of that stick where you go number two, or would make an incision in between where you go number two and number one, place the end of that stick in there, the blunt blunt end of that stick, oftentimes greased, and would take a hammer on the other end and hammer it in to make sure it was really good. Now, I know what you're saying, Jesse. Why is it blunt? Well, it's blunt because he wanted you to suffer. He did not want your internal organs to be pierced and have you die. If you have a blunt stick where you, well, when you get penetrated, that blunt stick will not stab the organs. It will simply move the organs around because the end of it is blunt and rounded and it won't pierce anything. And that is a level of agony that you cannot possibly imagine. And he would hammer that stick far enough into you And then he would lift you up and plant that stick into the ground where you would take hours, sometimes days, to die as the stick slowly made its way up through your body and exited your body at various points. Pictures will show you it came out their mouth. That didn't happen. That's a myth. But it would come out by your collarbone somewhere, out your chest somewhere, depending on where you're moving when it finally punctures. But keep in mind, you are still alive at this time. And let me finish off impalement. I will not describe it to you again because I know that was rough. Let me just say, as you can imagine, there are multiple stories throughout history of people begging anyone passing them by to kill them as they sit there on a stick like that. Impalement is not pleasant. Vlad the Impaler loved it. So he took those old and infirm aristocrats outside and impaled them. He took the others down by a river where he had a bunch of, you know, cauldrons and fires going and he was making bricks. And he had the other aristocrats make bricks, carry those bricks and build him a castle. And I mean a castle, an absolute fortress. 
This castle was in Teguviste, which was the capital of Wallachia. Remember that. We're going to come back to it. Vlad had an awesome castle built in Teguviste. Well, those aristocrats got killed. Now, Vlad wasn't only bad. Understand this, and this can be hard to explain, but Vlad is still hailed as a hero in Romania today. An absolute legend. They practically worship the guy. We'll get to why in a moment, but part of why is Vlad was actually fairly progressive when it comes to treating peasants well. This was a very feudal age where everything was ruled by kings and lords and, you know, you're in charge of this and you're in charge. And Vlad did not like that at all. He thought that peasants had rights too, lots of them. And treated peasants, well, some of them well. When I say some of them, Vlad also had a very strict way about how he viewed how society should be ordered. He viewed the old and infirm as a burden on society. He also viewed the homeless as a burden on society. So remember that banquet we just had? Uh, Vlad had another one, and he took all the beggars and fed them a massive banquet, and then he locked all the doors and burnt the building down with them inside. Thus, taking care of Wallachia's homeless problem in a bit of a rough way. Now, emissaries were sacred. Do you remember I've told you how sacred emissaries are? Well, Mehmed II, the sultan of the Ottoman Empire, he sends some emissaries to Vlad, and these emissaries approach Vlad, and they say, hey, uh, you need to pay your yearly tribute to the Ottoman Empire. And Vlad says, you know, I think you should remove your hat when you talk to me because I'm a king. And emissaries said, I understand that. They said it very respectfully. I understand that that's what you would like. However, that is not our custom. We're emissaries. We don't, we don't remove our hat for you. And Vlad said, I understand. I, I, I get that. I get that. And so he turned to his left where he had two large nails because there were two emissaries and two large hammers to go with these nails. He then gave his signal to the men where the men carried the nails over, placed them on top of the heads of the emissaries and nailed their hats into their skulls. Oh, did I mention that Vlad hated thieves. Yeah, I have a story about that, too. Impaler also hated thieves. Not only did he round all of them up, everyone you could find, and impale them, sometimes, well, sometimes he did more than just impale them. One thief who got caught claimed that being impaled was way too harsh for the crime he'd committed. Vlad said, you know what? I agree. So he had the man boiled alive and fed him to the village. 
Now, you can say these measures were a little harsh, <laughs> to, put the, to, to put it mildly, but they were effective. Thievery in Wallachia almost completely disappeared under Vlad. In fact, there's a famous story about a merchant. You see, again, remember, this is, this is in Wallachia. This is right on that gateway from the east to the west. So merchants had to pass through all the time. A merchant rolls into the Wallachia with a cart full of goods and gold. Goes up to Vlad in the castle and says, hey, man, I'm just passing through. Would you mind giving me a couple of your dudes to watch my wagon overnight? Vlad says, you know what? Uh, I wouldn't worry about that. This is Wallachia. You just uh, just go ahead and park your cart right in the middle of the town square. Nobody will touch it. Well, nobody did touch it except one dude. Merchant goes back the next day and finds, I forget the exact number, I think it was 200 gold bars basically were missing. Goes and tells Vlad. Vlad says, oh, don't worry about it. I already found them. And Vlad Vlad has his men put back in the merchant's cart 201 gold bars. Merchant goes back, sees he has 201, goes back to the castle and says, hey, Vlad, uh, I appreciate you uh, giving me all the money back, but you gave me an extra one. And he he approached Vlad at the same time the thief had been found. And Vlad says, I appreciate your honesty. Had you not brought back the extra one I'd given you, you'd be impaled on a stick right beside this thief I'm about to impale. Yeah, the dude hated thieves. Now, again, remember this. Vlad was cruel, yes. No question. However, he was a brilliant military mind. He did a lot of great things for them, and most importantly, especially according to them, Wallachia and nowadays Romania, he fought the Turks. He fought the Ottomans. You see, we have an issue here. Vlad refused to pay his tribute. Remember when he nailed the nail into the head of the the, uh, emissaries from the Ottoman Empire? Well, they didn't take too kindly to that. So they keep sending nasty messages. They're sending things back and forth. And finally, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire says, okay, we're, we're going to send one of our most important chiefs just to meet with you and talk things out. And Vlad says, sure. Only this chief starts riding towards Vlad, and he has a 1,000 men with him. And it turns out this chief was actually on a mission to kidnap Vlad and take him back to the Sultan. And I don't think I have to elaborate for you how that would have gone. Remember how I said Vlad was very good? Yeah, he had spies everywhere, and he found out about this. So he ambushes the chief with his 1,000 men. He impales all 1,000 of them and puts the chief on the highest stake there was. Well, now it's war. And Vlad knows it's war. Remember I said Vlad was brave, though? He takes one of the senior officers of this 1,000-man group, He puts on the guy's uniform. Remember where Vlad grew up, everybody? Ottoman Empire. What language do you think Vlad speaks fluently? Mm Mm-hmm. Vlad puts on this guy's uniform, rides up to this massive Ottoman fortress, 
and orders the men at the gates to open the city gates as if he's in charge, says it in perfect Turkish. And they do it. And Vlad's army storms in and takes over the fortress. Like I said, the guy had balls of steel. (laughs) Absolute balls of steel. Now, I need to explain. Remember, the Ottoman Empire is the most powerful empire on earth at the time. Uh, Wallachia was very much not. Very much not. Yes, they had a a leader very capable. They were had a f- good fighting spirit, but this is not a winnable battle. Nevertheless, the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, who's had just about enough of Vlad, decides, okay, it, it's time to handle this whole Ottoman problem. I've had enough of this. And he gathers, look, the numbers are all over the place. I've read a dozen different things on this. Some people say 100,000, some say 300,000. He gathers up a lot of people and heads towards Wallachia. The most people Vlad can gather up is 30,000 men. So clearly he's about to lose. Well, remember, this is Vlad the Impaler. He's not going to lay down. And so he begins poisoning the wells. He begins killing his own livestock, doing that real scorched earth thing. He locates people dying of the bubonic plague and sends them into the Turkish army, spreading the plague everywhere, fighting that kind of guerrilla warfare, these attacks at night. Well, the Turks are dying, and the Turks are angry, but the Turks are still coming. Finally, Vlad finds out where the Sultan is laying one night, finds out which camp he's in, because again, he had spies everywhere, Vlad invades the camp trying to kill the Sultan and actually would have, but he got lost and attacked the wrong tent and his men attack at night and kill 15,000 of them. Now Vlad is still way, way, way outnumbered. The Sultan is still coming. So he backs off. He goes away. At least that's what the Sultan thinks. And now the Sultan approaches the capital city of Teguviste. Only there's nobody around. He's approaching this city and there's nobody here. It's the capital city. Where'd everybody go? And the city gates were swinging back and forth open. Well, they're a little weirded out, but okay, it's not the end of the world. And so they enter the city, the Sultan and his army. And they start making their way towards Vlad's castle, which is three miles into the center of the city. And as they approach the castle, they start to see something in the distance. It looks weird. It's that did he plant a bunch of trees in perfect concentric circles around his castle? What what is this? And as they get closer and as they get closer, they begin to see what they thought were trees are actually the bodies of 23,000 Turks impaled on sticks in perfect concentric circles around the castle. Vlad had a forest of impaled Turks waiting for the Turkish army when they walk in. Some reports say men actually lost control of their bowels when they saw it. It was that kind of a horrifying sight Imagine a forest of impaled countrymen of yours. 
The next day, the Sultan and his army, they turned around and went home. Now, the story doesn't actually have a happy ending. They they sent a rear guard back, and Vlad didn't have any kind of an army left. They did end up actually taking it. Both sides claimed victory. It's one of those weird things. And then Vlad was finally betrayed one day. And he was betrayed in an ugly way by a Turkish assassin and had his head cut off. The assassin cut off his head in the middle of a battle where Vlad was, of course, leading the charge. But then something interesting happened. The Sultan sent an assassin to cut off Vlad's head. The assassin cuts off Vlad's head, takes possession of Vlad's head. And, well, hang on. I'll explain. The Jesse Kelly Show. On air and online at jessekellyshow.com. They cut off Vlad the Impaler's head and rode it right back to the Sultan of the Ottoman Empire, who finally got his guy. And the Sultan chose to honor him, chose to put the head in honey, which is how they preserved it back then, and treasured it. You see, even the Sultan of the great Ottoman Empire respected a worthy adversary. And all the horrible things he did, which, look, I mean, I touched on them. I would highly recommend you do as much reading as you feel like on Vlad the Impaler. Fascinating character. Again, still honored to this day. And I've, I've been thinking about this a lot lately because I've, been, I've had so many messages from people who are very, very, very frustrated with President Donald Trump. Especially people who are having their businesses wiped out, people who are out of work, so on and so forth. And I'm hearing all these complaints about him shutting down the economy, about him listening to Dr. Fauci. I'm hearing complaints about his open up, open up the economy council, which, you know, I've complained about all these things as well. And here's what you need to understand. And I don't work on his campaign. I'm not a pom-pom waiver for any man and will never be. I voted for him. I'll vote for him again. We're all complicated. They still honor Vlad the Impaler to this day. Vlad the Impaler locked all the homeless people in a room and burnt the building down. But Vlad the Impaler was fanatically brave and fought off what they viewed as horrific invaders. Aren't we all good and bad? Isn't that our nature? Good and bad. We've already talked about Genghis Khan once on the show. I'm sure we'll talk about him again. Uh, Yeah, he killed 40 million people with the sword. Was also extremely religiously tolerant. Made a very safe kingdom for everybody underneath him. Life really wasn't bad if you weren't one of the people who got your heads chopped off. Donald Trump 
his best quality, well, I should say his most electable quality, is his relatability. Now, don't laugh, because I understand he's a New York billionaire that lives in a gold-plated apartment when he's not in Washington, D.C. But Trump, because his father made him work construction jobs when he was younger, Trump understood the working man, spoke and still speaks the language of the working man. Trump, for better or for worse, I say for better, is the first major Republican of my lifetime who has no shame whatsoever about his base. There's always a little of that with every major Republican. Oh, gosh, build the wall. Here we go. Got the crazy wing nut in illegal immigration. Trump never did that. Even the birth certificate thing. Chris, you remember the Obama birth certificate thing? Everybody remembers that. Let me tell you a little secret about the birth certificate thing. Remember my gladiator theory about the shame society we live in and how people can't be honest about what they really believe and what they really want? I was running for Congress at the time when Obama was about to be president, and then I was running for Congress still after he was president. And so I was hot and heavy into politics during all this. And when I say running for Congress, I ran hard. It's how some no-name idiot almost actually got elected. I was at every event, you name it, every Republican club, uh, meeting at the VFW, pancake breakfast, Rotary Club. I was at every one of them, running like a beast. Do you have any idea how many people really believed that Barack Obama was born in Kenya? It Maybe you believe it, maybe you don't. That's not my business. My point of it is it was half of the Republican voting base, at least. And every other major national Republican, I wouldn't touch it. And every other major national Republican got up and said, oh, that's ridiculous, that's stupid. Remember what Donald Trump did? He went national with it. I think his birth certificate's a fake. Now, you can laugh at him. You can say that's cartoonish, or you could worship him for it and say, man, that's really cool. But the truth is he's not afraid of his base. He's not afraid of the people who love him. It's his benefit, his relatability. He can do that. He gets it. But it's complicated because, yes, he knows them. He understands his base. He gets it. He's, he is a populist. But, yes, he's still a New York billionaire. And so his economic counsel is embarrassing. <laughs> Let's just be honest about it. You look at that list of his reopen the economy council. Which working man is represented on that freaking thing? It's a who's who of the banking industry, this swamp rat, that swamp rat. It's what it is. There's no small business owner on there. There's no guy pounding nails for a living on there. It's a who's who of people who think they should be in charge of your life. And yes, I think it stinks. But I'm also willing to grant a bit of mercy because, again, we're all complicated. We're all good and bad. I consider myself one of the worst people on earth. I'm still capable of doing some really good things. I've done a few in my life. Aren't you the same? Life is complicated. Hang on.
Alright, we screwed off all day yesterday. Hey, we're gonna screw off some today. But there's no avoiding the story of the day. There's just not. Labor Department reports 5.2 million weekly jobless claims. That puts us at 22 million officially. And if you count, again, the people who haven't gotten through yet, the individual contractors, the small business. Look, let's be, let's be honest. That number is 30 million approaching it, if not already there. 30, 30 million. And I'm seeing a massive, massive separation. It's never been more stark than what I'm seeing right now. And for the first time in my lifetime, at least that I can remember, It is not left versus right. It is not. This separation that I'm seeing is actually more damaging than that. It's a separation that I'm not sure can be bridged until one side wakes up. And I'll explain exactly what that separation is in just a second. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. The disconnect right now is not Republicans and Democrats. It is not left versus right. It's not north and south. The the disconnect right now, quite simply and sadly, is the people still receiving a paycheck and the people not. And normally that wouldn't shock me. But the callousness I'm seeing towards the people who have had their livelihoods wiped out is stunning. And people will show me these polls still. This Jesse, 60% of Americans, 65% of Americans still say we don't need to open the economy up. Yeah. All the people who either didn't have a job or still have their job. We don't live in a democracy on purpose. I don't know if you're aware of that. As Benjamin Franklin said, a democracy is two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. Um, The 22 million officially unemployed Americans, 30 million if you want to get to the real number, uh, they don't matter. They're not important. And instead, all we get, all we get day after day is lectures. We get scolded. By people who wake up every single morning. And I know these people. You know what? Sadly, because some of them are my friends. And I'm sorry. Do not write me and tell me, that's just the libs. This is the left. People, I'm seeing it all over the right. And it's disgusting to me. Of these people who wake up. I know how they earn a living because they're my friends. 
They wake up in the morning. They have a quota. They have to write four 1,000-word pieces this week. And they're required because they're signed a contract with whatever fill-in-the-blank network. They have to be on call and available to do a media hit, which, because they're not allowed in the studio, they do on their computer at their desk. I get that that's your life, and you know what? Good for you. That's a nice life if that's the life you want. Especially right now. You're waking up in the morning. The checks are still coming in, so it ain't no big deal. Uh, had, a, had a few too many margaritas last night. You know what? Let's just get on DoorDash. Let's get some breakfast tacos and waffles delivered. Yeah, let's do that. All right, cool. All right, uh, that won't be here for 45 minutes. Hang on. I got I to gotta crank out this piece really quick on the death rates in Italy. Give me a second. So, so they're, 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 you know, in your pajamas, you sit back in your chair and you, you type out a thousand-word piece, send it off to your editor. Woo! I'm glad I got that done. Hey, you know what? Those tacos were good. We're stuck at home anyway. Why not have why not why not have a mimosa? I don't care that it's 10 a.m. Let's fire look fire fire up the blender right now. Forget mimosas. We're having margaritas. It's margarita time, baby. Woo! We'll DoorDash Mexican for lunch. Oh crap, I got hold on. Whew. Hold on, I gotta do a hit for MSNBC at three o'clock. Let me sober up real quick. Ten minutes on MSNBC. Look, Americans. They just need to stay inside. We have to flatten the curve. Aren't they listening to St. Fauci? Why are people so selfish and going to church? Where do they get off? Some people in Michigan, they even they even protested, actually saying they want to go back to their jobs. Americans just need to be smart. All right, we done that. Was that 10 minutes? All right, good to go. Thank you. Fire up the blender again, baby. Woo! If that's your life, that's fine. Good for you. I genuinely mean that. I'm glad you're in a place in your life where things are working out fine for you. I am. That's awesome. I don't begrudge anybody that. I am not the person who hates someone else's success. I realize that's a popular thing out there. I want each and every one of you to make every dime you can to achieve every level of success you can. I root for, I even root for my enemies. Go, succeed, be happy. However, if that's your situation, at least be conscious of the people who are not in that situation. You had the blender fired up by 9 a.m. Other people, and I don't mean like 10 of them, millions of them, millions of them woke up this morning. They rolled over. They picked up their little smartphone. They opened up their bank account that's on their phone. And they looked at the balance. And they started sweating. Oh, geez. Let's see. Which 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 bills are due today? Oh, gosh. I can't. Gosh, I can't pay that. Honey, are you, were you were you going to go to the grocery store today? Yeah, honey, I was. Could you? Can we make do with 
whatever we have here for another week or two. Honey, I have to go. We don't have any milk or eggs. Can you maybe, can you call one of the neighbors and see if we can borrow some eggs? I can't do that. That's so embarrassing. Honey, we don't have, we don't have the money. We do not have the money. Well, have you talked to, have you talked to the plant yet? Baby, all they're saying is that I'm furloughed and I can't come back. I'm, I'm, I guess that $1,200 check from the government might get here this week, but if we get that, I, I have a $3,000 credit card bill because we've had to put everything off. Well, can't we get them to hold off? I already had them hold off last month. I'm already going to have to be late on my car payment. Well, is that is that going to hurt us? Yeah, baby, it is because that that loan we were going to get next month to put in, you know, we were going to put in that the back porch improvements. They're going to reject it now because our credit score just dropped. And if this if this gets much worse, there's a chance we're going to have to put the house up for sale and move in with my mother. That's not a fantasy. That's happening right now in the United States of America to millions of Americans. And if your life isn't like that right now, again, I cannot reinforce this enough. Good for you. I am happy for you. I will tell you, I'm in the same situation. I always give it to you straight, don't I? I'm in the same situation. My life's good. I still have my TV show. Pluto TV, channel 248, every single night, 8 o'clock Eastern, I have a one-hour TV show code, I'm right, and it's killing right now. Numbers are through the roof. People are thrilled with it. I have a, my radio show just went national last week. While other people were drowning, I just got this huge promotion. I'm heard across the country. Numbers are through the roof. You love it. Good, happy, thrilled. Thank you. But I'm at least aware that there is carnage around me there's not a little hardship here a little hardship there there is carnage around me in the united states of america not in yemen in the united states of america there are lines at food banks miles long for people to get emergency food Emergency food. If your life is going well and you make your living cranking out a thousand word piece in the morning on the couch, again, good for you. But try to have some perspective on how people are living. Stop with these absurd lectures about you have to be safe and you just want old people to die and get back in your apartment and shut your mouth and stop talking about reopening the economy. 60% of the people agree with me, but I'm sure they do, bro. The rest of us are starving. Listening to the Jesse Kelly Show. You're welcome.
All right, we're changing gears here for a moment. Is there something that's bothering me? It's it's not bothering me a lot, but it's bothering me a little. Joe Biden, this is a headline from freebeacon.com. Joe Biden has yet to face a single question on sexual assault allegations. Now, Biden has been accused. I'm not going to go into all the details. I don't like I don't like a lot of that grimy stuff. Again, as as wild as this show gets, I always want you to be able to listen with the kids. This Tara Reid, some former staffer, accusing Biden of you know, assault. And not a single question has been asked of Joe Biden, who's been on several shows about it. And this is what bugs me about this. This is what bothers me about this. Doesn't that cheat every woman who's actually been through that kind of horrific stuff? I don't know if this woman's a freaking liar. I, I, it's not, and I don't know that we'll ever know. Again, this is another one of these 20, 30-year-old accusations. How do you know when it comes to that? You don't know. No one wants to talk about that. You're supposed to be very PC. Well, we have to believe all women. Why? No, we don't. I don't believe anybody. They might all be telling the truth. They might all be lying. You don't know and I don't know. We don't have to do this thing where we pretend to, well, uh, we have to believe her. No, we don't. We don't know. That Christine Blasey Ford was a freaking liar. And everyone knows it. If If any woman, separate of some major, you know, Supreme Court nomination, if any woman made accusations like that publicly about any individual in any random walk of life with that lack of evidence, that person would be would be sued immediately. And I mean immediately and almost guaranteed would be brought up on charges of making false allegations. That's how absurd her claims were. And it bothers me that this has become purely political. Is that really what we are now? Talk about treating women like crap. For the party of of pro-women, they sure don't seem to give a crap about women if the shoe's on the other foot. And I think the media is making a huge, huge mistake with Joe Biden. And he's made the same mistake, too. And before I criticize Biden, let me explain. Joe Biden, this is long before his brain melted into chocolate, Joe Biden has always been a C-minus politician. He was never this primetime player, and I'll tell you the mistake everybody made, and people make this all the time. You probably make it too. I've made it before. You assume longevity equals talent. That is 100% false. 100% false. Oftentimes, it's exactly the opposite. That guy who's been at the guy who's been in the company, he's he's been the number three or number four man in the company for 30 years. We should make him CEO. In 30 or 40 years, he could never rise to the top job. You should probably fire him. It's not CEO material. He's a good long-lasting, steady employee. And that's fine. Everybody doesn't have to be the star of the team. But Joe Biden has been an absolute moron 
and a backbench senator for his entire career, a senator from Delaware. And with all due respect to Delaware, that's not a major, powerful U.S. state. It's some little Democrat stronghold. Biden gets elected there 30 years ago and really just kind of coasts. Did you ever hear Biden's name or think twice about Joe Biden before Barack Obama picked him to be vice president? No, of course you didn't. He's not some primetime player. He's a guy who existed in the Senate as a Democrat from Delaware who never had to field a hard question for 30 years. And along comes Barack Obama, this young hotshot, charisma all over the dude, looks like we might have a superstar on our hands. Only Barack Obama has a couple big flaws, or at least a couple of blanks that need to be filled in according to what Democrats want, according to how they look at national elections. Now, I tend to think a couple of these flaws that they viewed are crap, but I don't view elections the same way they view. One, Barack Obama was black. They viewed that as possibly hurting them with white working class voters. So, okay, well, we, you remember, the vice president is always there to balance out the ticket, to fill in any flaws. That's why Donald Trump picked Mike Pence. Oh, Donald Trump's bombastic. He's in your face. What's Mike Pence? The gentle, fatherly figure. I think we'll just sit together and have a Werther's original. Barack Obama needed a white dude. He needed an older white dude with foreign policy experience because Barack Obama had no experience really in anything whatsoever. His resume was paper thin. He needed an old white guy. They wanted white working class voters to to ease any concerns about a black dude being elected president. And he needed someone with experience. Well, who better than Joe Biden? Might as well. And so what happened was Biden's a senator for 30 years. And then he's Barack Obama's vice president for eight. And people looked around and thought, well, clearly the guy's going to be the next big thing. He must be a star. He was never a star. He got picked to be Obama's VP. Otherwise, you wouldn't even know his name. So leading us to where we are now, all that Hunter Biden Ukraine stuff, Joe Biden couldn't possibly have handled that any worse. And until coronavirus, that was still hanging around his neck. He was still being asked about it, and he still gave the worst answer I've ever heard consistently. His answer was, and this is honestly the dumbest thing I've ever heard someone try to pull off, his answer every time he was asked about the obvious impropriety of it was, well, who said he did anything wrong? Nobody said he did anything wrong. Joe, everybody said he did something wrong. In fact, I just asked you the question because I think he did something wrong. When Joe Biden should have just come out right away and said, look, this looks bad. I wish I hadn't have done it. My son's a bit of a moron. I got him a $50,000 a month job. Why? Because he's my son. If I had to do it over again, I wouldn't. But I did it. And you know how long that story would have been in the news? 24 hours. Gone. Instead, he gives this idiotic answer because he's an idiot. And they're making this same mistake with this whole assault allegation. It's not going to go away. It's not my thing. That's why you've never really heard me talk about this stuff on there. It's just not my thing. I don't do all that rumor mill stuff, 30-year-old accusation stuff. I just think that's ugly and dumb and you never know who to believe. 
but they're going to run from it and avoid it and avoid it and avoid it and avoid it, and sooner or later he's not going to be able to avoid it anymore. And that's going to be the overall strategy for the entire Biden campaign team and, by extension, the media who's all on the Biden campaign team. They're going to try to hide him and protect him. And you can't. Even now, during all this coronavirus stuff, when they'll do everything they can. You remember my prediction? They'll say he has to do the debate from home because they're worried about him getting sick. But at some point in time, when you want to be the commander-in-chief, the people of the United States of America are going to demand to see their commander-in-chief. They're going to demand to see him perform on stage in front of the bright lights. Give it to me, Joe. Daddy Barack isn't there anymore. Let's hear it. You want to be commander-in-chief? Let's hear it. And Joe Biden can't deliver those goods. He just can't. All right, speaking of delivering the goods, we got Brandon Darby to give us a border breakdown. He always has good stuff. If you want to email me, you can. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. That's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Remember, also, you miss any part of this show, the whole show's available, podcasted right after the show on iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. Hang on. Darby of the great Breitbart.com and the Cartel Chronicles. The dude is going to always be a regular on this show for all of our new listeners. The dude knows more about cartels and border stuff than anybody I've ever met in my life. Brandon, first of all, I have been curious, very curious, how transnational criminal organizations, I don't call them cartels anymore because you've lectured me out of that, I'm curious how they operate when it comes to something like this. I mean, I see these stupid headlines where there's no more illegal crossings during the pandemic, and there's no way that's true. But what is the reality on the ground? Well, it depends. So it depends on, you know, we've talked about this before, but there's so many different transnational criminal organizations, the cartels in Mexico, and they have such different business models. So groups, um, groups who primarily make money from uh, illegal immigration or from asylum claims, claimants, they are suffering a little bit right now. Uh, groups who make money from fentanyl, uh, you know, if you read Fox News, they have a story up that had recently that said that the cartels were crushed by the coronavirus pandemic. Well, that's not the case. They, they simply hired chemists to make their own precursor chemicals that they used to ship from China. So <laughs> they're thriving right now when it comes to drugs. Um, it just depends. They've had to shift up some business models or some, some methods of getting things in the United States. But uh, they're still doing just fine. They're still surviving. Okay. How, how do you picture them working through this? Obviously, they don't have a great deal of concern for the human life, but, but does the lack of money flowing through the United States force them to look elsewhere in the world? Is there another place in the world they go, or do we buy the bulk of what they produce? Well, it depends on what substances we're talking about. Um, when we, if we're getting into marijuana, well, obviously that's not the hugest cash crop any longer. But 
uh, a lot of those marijuana fields now grow poppy or they now grow, um, uh, those people have turned to uh, some cases growing coca, but, but generally they, they don't grow it. Uh, it's mostly poppy. So one of the sad things is that, you know, if we look at the al- alcohol consumption rates, which I don't know that that's really sad, but, but if you look at the alcohol consumption rates during lockdown, what you see is that Americans are consuming more alcohol. Well, Americans are also consuming quite a bit of, of drugs as well. People who are locked down, uh, you know, people with addictions, people are, are using drugs. And, and so that really hasn't changed. Uh, maybe there's some slight ups and downs or whatever, but it hasn't really changed at its core. So the need for drugs is still there. And seizures, uh, seizure evidence, meaning like what law enforcement's actually catching, show that that the drugs are still flowing in. Uh, they indicate that the drugs are still flowing in. So, so that really hasn't changed. I don't think the coronavirus, for the most part, I mean, we could say we could take some group of the Gulf Cartel or Zetas who make more money from people. Uh, they've shifted their business models to where they're charging asi- people wanting asylum or claiming asylum. Um, obviously, they're going to be hurting right now because everybody's being sent right back into Mexico uh, or Central America. But groups who are producing narcotics or pumping narcotics in, whether the producers are just smugglers, they're not they're not hurting at all right now. Uh, I'm going to ask a really, really stupid question. You talk about these fields, poppy fields, marijuana fields, whatever the fields may be. Can't we see those? Can't someone see yeah. those and go destroy those? Or are they somehow hidden? Why, why are we not destroying those? Yeah, yeah, we absolutely can see them. And that's part of the problem is that the majority of the people of the chemists who are making precursor chemicals for methamphetamine or fentanyl, we know who they are. Our government knows who they are. Different agencies know who they are. Where the fields are, we know where those fields are. We can see those fields. The problem is, and this is where, and I've addressed this with you before in the past, long ago, it has to do with the State Department. Um, the U.S. State Department. So, you know, m- most of Mexico's leadership are connected to, to drug cartels. Oof. Most of the people who are diplomats in Mexico are connected to drug cartels. So when we're trying to do trade deals with Mexico and we're trying to have, uh, you know, do business diplomacy with Mexico, the U.S. State Department wants to balance law enforcement priorities with diplomatic concerns. So what happens is they don't get too aggressive they don't they they get some token people they go after certain people but not other people uh, because it offends the diplomats the very diplomats in mexico who they're trying to trade with it's a problem and that's that's one of the the, i guess the major focuses of our work at at breitbart um, when it comes to cartels is is really trying to hold the u.s state department accountable and say hey we understand that you're trying to have diplomacy, engage in diplomacy between two nations, but you need to stop treating Mexico like they're Germany or like they're the UK, and you need to treat them like the failing narco state that they are. And we need to be more aggressive with how we go after uh, bad guys there. So that that's one of the weirdest things that it, it, it's almost devastating to me is that we have men and women in law enforcement fighting the drug war. We have them sincerely doing it. They're losing their partners. They're getting their faces blown off and their rear ends blown off on the street. But then on the highest levels, you see things like 
you see that our government giving a pass to, to the manufacturers of these drugs. We saw the same thing with Obama uh, when it came to the Taliban, and there was a, a big issue that came out about that last year. And that's what we do in Mexico. We know where those fields are. We could eradicate them. We know who the drug dealers are. We know what their networks are. Uh, and, and yet we don't really do that. Sometimes we'll go after, you know, like we just had a big operation in the United States where the DEA went after over 600 people connected to, to the Jalisco cartel. Okay, but that was a cartel that was challenging the power of the Sinaloa cartel. As a whole, the United States really doesn't go after the Sinaloa cartel, the one that's the most connected in Mexico's elite circles, as they do the cartels that challenge the Sinaloa cartel. So it's a bit of a problem, brother, but you're absolutely right. We know where those fields are. We have the technology and the human sources and the, the signal intelligence to determine this, uh, but we don't do it. Where do human, well, I don't even know what y'all want to call them, human trafficking victims. It's just this has always been an issue I've been passionate about. Uh, where do they come from? I always hear about these human trafficking victims. Are they... Are they drugging women in clubs? Are they snatching up poor people? What are, where are they coming from? Where are they going and to what purpose? Well, the overall larger issue, <clears throat> you end up with, you know, you're, you're talking about runaway kids. You're talking about uh, women who, who have found themselves in a very bad position, uh, getting involved with the wrong man who's involved in some organized criminal circuit. Um, those domestic cases exist, but, but there's also, uh, I think the majority of cases that, that get caught at least involve people who came here illegally. Um, and then the people in the process of trying to come here for work, uh, women who are deemed attractive, but are very poor, uh, sometimes are told, Hey, it turns out like we, it costs us a lot more for you to come here. So unless you want us to go and kill your your abuela back in, you know, wherever you're from, then you're going to need to work for us for a year, oh. you know, and you're going to need to. So that that's how this really starts. So uh, back in the day when I ran a shelter for trafficking victims, most of the people were people who had tried to come illegally, but, but somewhere in that process, the cartel siphoned them off. And then they were... Uh, you know, at that point, they become witnesses for the U.S. government against bad guys, right? So then they're giving you or TV says or they're allowed to stay to testify yeah. um, uh, against the bad guy. But so, so most of it is that. Um, but but there's also a lot of domestic cases of that, right? Hey, but, Brandon, but, but I'm up against the break. Do you think that. I could? Do you think I could hold you real quick? I just want to ask you one or two more questions, if that's okay. Let's do it. All right, let's, now, let's put Brandon Darby on hold. I want more Darby. Hang on one sec. We will uh, we'll be right back. I have a couple more questions about the human trafficking and about the cartel connections here in the country. Hang on. Miss something? There's a podcast. Get it on demand wherever podcasts are found. The Jesse Kelly Show. We 
We got Brandon Darby on the line of Cartel Chronicles, Breitbart.com. Anyway, Brandon, continue, please, with this human trafficking thing because I find it really, really horrific, uniquely horrific, and just fascinating. Right. Well, well, it's very interesting that basically the bottom line is that's what got me to the border. That's where Breitbart, um, you know, people may notice that, you know, I think especially liberals or whatever, they probably don't like our tone on immigration. But if you look at our border coverage and our cartel coverage, it's very humanitarian in its in its tone. And uh, doesn't mean that we think people should be allowed to stay, but we're just we're very kind towards a lot of the, the people we write about. And that's because our content came out of that issue. I was running a shelter for trafficking victims and I was trying to understand why these low-level guys who were trafficking these women were being arrested and prosecuted, but the bosses they were answering to in Mexico were never being gone after. And that's what really led us to the border as a whole. So this issue, very core to all of our reporting, are the humanitarian consequences of having an open border or an unsecured border, right, or an improperly secured border. Uh, so it's been a big deal for us, um, and it's a like I said, the primary focus of us. If you notice, we primarily go after the cartels that do the most sex trafficking, and uh, we don't go after the ones that do the most drug trafficking uh, as much, just simply because we don't have, you know, the resources. Uh, so we primarily go after the Gulf Cartel and Los Cetas on, along the border, uh, the Texas border, um, and not uh, not the Sinaloa cartel as much. Can you explain, because it would be naive to think, you know, a a major criminal group like this doesn't have lots and lots of connections in the United States of America, and not just, you know, with street gangs and distributors and things like that, but frankly, political connections. Obviously, I I, I don't want you to speak out of turn about anything, but do you know anything about how connected they are, even maybe by an unknowing politician or group of political people? Right. So, so if we look at the border communities, um, especially in South Texas, where there's a major problem with public corruption, um, and, and that's evidenced by the, the, that's, you know, Obama's DOJ even agreed and created a special task force in the Rio Grande Valley of Texas. And the state of Texas has a special task force that deals with public corruption there as well. Um, what you see is that sometimes you find a cop who's taking money or, or a border patrol agent who's taking money from uh, a cartel or something that direct. But more what you see is you look at Mexico's political class, their, their dominant party, which is very connected to drug cartels, the PRI. And then you look at U.S. politicians on, on, on the American side who are very connected to that political party, right? So the political party is largely funded by, by, by drug dollars, right? Uh, but they're legitimate politicians in Mexico who the U.S. does business with, and then they have close relationships with with politicians and congressmen on the U.S. side. Oh. And that's where you really start to see the problem. It isn't so much a direct thing like the drug boss is wiring money to the U.S. politics. It doesn't work that way. It's generally going to be, you know, it's going to be the, the more elite political class are connected to the U.S. politicians. And I'm not going to name names on the show, yeah, but, but no, there's, no. It, it's not difficult for people to look at the, the, the congressmen, the House reps along the Texas border, 
and see which ones have very close connections and constant pictures of themselves partying and going out with members of Mexico's, you know, political parties who are also known to be connected to drug cartels. That's not a, a that's not hard to, to research. Yeah, no, and, and look, we've only got a couple minutes here, so just keep that in mind. But I, obviously, I want people to understand, and please correct me if I'm wrong. Obviously, like you said, that doesn't translate into $50,000 in somebody's freezer, although I'm sure in some cases it does. It translates into uh, hopping on a plane to a very, very nice vacation in Mexico somewhere, correct? Or here in the country. Stuff like that. Yeah, so it's very difficult because on one hand, you know, on one hand you want to, you know, like for instance, Rick Perry. I don't think Rick Perry's corrupt at all, but when he was governor, he spent a lot of time with one of the governors from south of, of, of Texas in, in Tamaulipas, Mexico. That governor got indicted for, for taking drug cartel money and for laundering money. And so the next governor also spent time with him, and that governor got indicted. So these are how those things happen. I don't think Rick Perry was corrupt, but but that is how that happens, right? That is how the cartel doesn't directly go to a U.S. politician and go, hey, we want to corrupt you. No, they, it, it's a, it's more of a subtle thing where you end up with, you end up with, with, uh, people convincing U.S. politicians of, of, you know, like, hey, we don't want this border wall. Like, we don't, come on, this is going to hurt business. This is going to hurt this. But the politician in Mexico convincing the U.S. politician is directly funded by drug cartels and was put in office by drug cartels. And so these are the way those kind of things happen that influence. There are some direct cases of it that have happened. But but most of the time, it's that indirect, swampy um, influence that 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 occurs. Brandon Darby, Breitbart.com. Go read all of his stuff if you want to get smarter. I appreciate you, my friend. Thank you, brother. Got to get that guy Pulitzer one day. I'm telling you what, man. All right. It's time to dig into the serious stuff. We're going to talk about tigers, guns, and stripper poles. Hang on. stocky follow like and subscribe on social at jesse kelly dc headline from the new york post i'm not making this up Stimulus checks are being spent on dildos, tigers, guns, and stripper poles. Americans began receiving the first batch of coronavirus relief funds this week. And now many are taking to social media to brag about the assortment of purchases, both strange and savvy, they've already made with them. While many are using the emergency cash to pay bills for necessities and living expenses, others are putting the money toward wild splurges. Among the more trivial items people have reported using the extra bucks for is an inflatable dinosaur costume. I love that guy. Although the buyer argues the $35 getup was totally worth it. (laughs) Quote, I actually have good use for it. Plus, look at the price. I should have bought two. (laughs) Love this guy. 
This country's the best, man. Look, what else can we do at this point in time but laugh? And no, I'm not recommending you blow your stimulus money on an inflatable dinosaur. Although guns might not be a bad. It might not be a bad option. And hey, you stuck at home with the old ball and chain. Gripper Bull might not be that bad either. Hang on. Jesse Kelly Show. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Remember I told you about the split and where that split is? Well... Here's Don Lemon talking about the pastor. See, there was a pastor in Virginia. He chose to hold church services, even with everyone saying lock down and don't do it. And I should tell you, our church has been remote. They're not holding church services. If they were holding church services right now, I don't think I'd go. I'm all for being smart. Keeping your hands washed. Avoiding major crowds, right? And I'm all for that. However, if you're a person of faith and you want to attend a church service, dangerous or not, this is the United States of America and you should be allowed to do so. The government, even if you think they should step in, in my opinion, does not have the authority to step in and stop a church service. But because he was a pastor... And because the left, and by extension the leftist media, cannot contain their disdain for Christianity, rest assured, Don Lemon at CNN, who I'm about to play for you, would never say these words about some uh, a Muslim cleric or something like that. He just would not. Because the left is openly hostile to Christianity, they can get away with going on national TV and saying things like this. My heart goes out to that family. Bless them. But they should be a lesson to everyone out there who's trying to defy the authorities who are saying, don't do it. Let that be a lesson? Who are these people? And let me just say this. I don't do too much inside baseball stuff when it comes to how the industry works because, one, most of you don't care, and two... I don't know. <laughs> I've only been doing this like, like less than two years, right, Chris? Gosh, less than two years. That's unbelievable. Anyway, let me explain to you how television works. Radio to some extent, but this is much more television. Radio, like the, the segments I do in between commercial breaks, they really all need to stand on their own. Uh, yes, I do a different show than everybody else does. Just because that's what interests me. That's why I open every single show talking about history. And I know y'all love that. So I'm never going to stop. I love it. So I'm never going to stop. But for the most part, each segment stands pretty much on its own. People tune in and tune out. Most people don't have three hours a day to hang on my every word, even though they should. TV's different. The blocks, a block is when you do a segment. 
the blocks are uh, they're they're lettered. So obviously the first block is A block, and then you have a commercial break, and then there's B block, and then a commercial break, and then C block, so on and so forth. In TV, you front load your show. I do a TV show too. Pluto TV, the, the channel's called The First, 8 p.m. Eastern every single night. It's channel 248. I'll have a new one tonight. Monday through Friday, I have a show. So I'll give you how TV works. TV, you front load your show, meaning, yes, you put effort into the whole show. There's no question. But you sit back when you decide, you know, you get with your producers every day like I do, and you decide, okay, I want to talk about this. I don't want to talk about that. Let's let's pull this little video clip. Let's talk about this, so on and so forth. And then you take a step back and you look at all the crap you have in front of you to talk about. And you have to decide for yourself, uh, that's the most interesting thing, or that's the most important thing, or that's the story of the day. That's what you put in the front. Whenever they, no matter what the show is, whatever channel you watch, MSNBC, Fox News, the first, the four of you who watch CNN, whatever show you watch, the opening is what they view as the most important part of the show, whatever they open with. And the second segment's the second most important part, so on and so forth. You're never going to have a show that has the president of the United States on, and uh, we're going to have him on for the last five minutes. You're never, ever going to see that. Do you know that Don Lemon's show, every time someone sends me a clip of the A Block, so I'm pretty sure he does this every day. I don't watch the show, so I can't see. Do you know that Don Lemon has Chris Cuomo, who does the show before Lemon? Chris Cuomo stays in his chair And does Don Lemon's A block with him as a tandem thing every single day? It's an inside baseball thing, but that is a stinging indictment on Don Lemon's ability to do television, to be interesting. I can't comprehend exactly how it would feel professionally if my TV company, you know, I finished the radio today, entertaining the masses, Chris. I finished radio and get a phone call from my producer today. Hey, Jesse, uh, you know, we have Buck Sexton on the show, right? And Buck Sexton's awesome. He's my buddy. He has a, he's also a national show, so on and so forth. Hey, uh, we've, so we've been in talks and I think we're going to have Buck stay on and do your A block with you every single day. That would be the worst professional gut punch in the world. <laughs> that would be like, yeah, you you suck at this. That's what they're saying. So just be that as it may, Don Lemon. Let that be a lesson to you, scumbag. You suck at it. Now, I saw that Washington, D.C. has already extended their stay-at-home order through May 15, Mayor B- Muriel Bowser, Democrat, announced Wednesday that the city's stay-at-home order be extended through May 15th. The extension applies to all social distancing guidelines that Bowser has already put in place, meaning schools and non-essential businesses will stay closed. Bowser said the city would need to see a continuous two-week decline in hospitalizations and positive tests 
before considering relaxing measures. Additionally, Bowser said D.C. residents must now wear some sort of face covering or mask at hotels and in taxis and ride shares. The city's metro system has also requested that riders wear face coverings while using public transit. Last week, Bowser ordered all shoppers at grocery stores in the district to wear face masks. The district has reported 2,200 confirmed cases and 72 deaths. Here's what Donald Trump is facing right now politically. I'm actually not going to go into the other parts of it. I'm only talking politically, which sounds a little cold-blooded right now, but it's always on somebody's mind. He's got himself in a pickle. Again, I would never want to be president of the United States and ever have to make the decision that he had to make. You see, it's easy when somebody gives you a national security briefing and says, hey, you know that dirtball, Kassam Soleimani? We know where he is, and with the snap of our fingers, we can melt him inside of his car with a Hellfire missile. That's easy, right? Well, yeah, uh, let's go ahead and do that. Send me pictures after. That'd be sweet. Only the media will defend him. A difficult decision is, uh, Mr. President, there's a horrendous virus floating around. And if we don't lock down the country, uh, 2 million Americans are about to die. And even if we lock down, 200,000 Americans are about to die. It's not a decision I'd wish on anybody, let alone President of the United States. Now, here's the issue. He made a decision. He chose to issue the guidelines he chose. He chose to lock down America. And no, don't give me this. Every country did it. That is completely false. Every country did not do it. Other countries have, with various levels of success, chosen to attack this thing a different way. But he made the decision he made. And in so doing, he has opened up and paved politically A very, very, very dangerous road. And I'm going to explain to you what I mean in just a second. Is he smarter than everyone? Who knows? Does he think so? Yeah. The Jesse Kelly Show. Politically, here's the road Donald Trump has opened up and paved for himself. Uh, again, I'm not, I'm not ripping on it. You know, I disagree with it, but that's that's a tough decision right there. That's a that's a tough decision. But you see, Washington D.C. extending their stay-at-home order, only 72 dead. Virginia extending their stay-at-home order. States with Democrat governors across the country extending their stay-at-home order. I don't want to sound extremely cynical, but here's what you need to understand about human nature. It's just the way we are. It's the way we're built. People are in it for themselves. People are going to do what benefits them. 
then let's say you're a mayor of Washington, D.C. You know what? Setting him aside. Let's say you're a Democrat mayor of a state, Virginia, Michigan, whatever it may be. No, no, don't think about things in broad terms. Don't think about things, you know, in selfless terms. Think about the actual human being that's there. You're the governor of Virginia. You just took off your black face and put away your Klan mask. And now you have a decision to make. What do I do with my state? We have this coronavirus. We have the economy being hurt. I'm Ralph Northam. What do I need? What do I want in life? What do you think Ralph Northam wants in life? What do you think the governor of Michigan? What do you think she wants in life? She wants to stay governor. Right? And what do you need as governor of Michigan if you want to stay governor? You need 50% of the votes of your state plus one. That's all you need, period. What else do you want if you're governor? Well, yeah, you want to stay governor. I mean, it doesn't hurt living in the old governor's mansion. I don't know if they have a governor's mansion there. I'm just assuming. Well, yeah, I want to stay governor and stay in the governor's mansion, and I would very much like to enjoy continuing being the most powerful person in my state. All that stuff sounds just all right by me, but you know what else I'd like? I'd like to hurt Donald Trump politically bad. What if you can have both? Don't think for a moment it hasn't occurred to these Democrat governors that because of the road he paved, I'm not absolving him of responsibility, but because of the road he paved, they can have both. If you're Michigan's governor and you have your state locked down, you won't even let people buy gardening seeds. And that sounds ridiculous, right? And Michigan people are mad. And I have a, I have a headline here, Operation Gridlock. Thousands gather at Michigan's Capitol to protest the get Democratic governor's stay-at-home order. And they did. They were lined up down the street, and it was people are mad. But what percentage of the voting public is mad? Remember, what does she need? She needs 50% of the public plus one vote, and she gets reelected governor. So if she's looking at poll numbers, and the poll numbers show that 55, 60% of the public agrees with her and the rest of the public hates her guts. She doesn't care. So if she's not hurt politically quite yet and she knows we have a presidential election coming up in November and Donald Trump's main case for reelection, and let's be frank, Anyone who didn't have severe Trump derangement syndrome knew Trump was very likely going to get reelected because of the economy. I don't care how bombastic you think he is. I think he's rude. I don't like that. I don't like that. I wish he wouldn't talk like that. People, we had one of, if not the greatest economy in our country's history, record low black unemployment, record low Hispanic unemployment, uh, the, the, the stock market over 20,000. You, you don't, I understand that we get way in the weeds and some people hate him and you don't understand. I saw on Twitter and Facebook that man was going to get reelected president of the United States. He was, but now 
You know, as Democrat governor, that, let's see, I have, yeah, some people hate my guts, but who cares about them? I'm about to be reelected. And sure, I can hurt my state's budget, but what do I give a crap if I get reelected? My check's still clear. I'm still governor. And by hurting my own economy, I can hurt Donald Trump's reelection chances? I know what you're saying, Jesse, that's too cynical. Is it? Is it really? Or is that human nature? How many stories have you heard me tell of people in the past? Human nature is what it is, right? You have it. I have it. Even when you don't necessarily want to be that person, aren't we all, at some extent, that person? I can openly admit that I am because I have no reputation and I have a terrible soul. I get that. But aren't we all selfish at some level? Care about what we care about? If you're a Democrat governor, once you're done sucking up to Trump to make sure the federal dollars all come, all flow your way, you know, that's what you see that idiot Newsom in California is doing. That's what you see Cuomo doing in New York. The reason they're talking kindly about Trump is they want the federal, you know, they want the federal pipeline to remain open. Yes, please keep sending us money. Please keep sending us ventilators. Send us all your stuff. Gimme, 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 gimme. As soon as that faucet gets turned off or as soon as those giveaways aren't, aren't you know, happening anymore, they're going to start trashing Trump at every single turn. Bank on it. So, why would they open? Let's say Donald Trump gets out there and does what so many people we anticipate. May 1st, which, I, again, I think that's flat absurd and, frankly, tone deaf when we have another 5 million p- people unemployed today. So what, we have to we have to unemploy another 10 million before we can open it up just because it's a date? May 1st, well, what's wrong with today? Uh, 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 I don't know about y'all, I have April 16th. That sounds like a sweet day to me. Either way, let's say Trump gets out there May 1st, says to everybody, we are open for business. And guess what? I'm issuing guidelines. I can't force them to do it because he can't. He's not a king. I'm issuing guidelines to all these governors that they should start reopening their states. What do you think these Democratic governors are going to say? Do you think they're going to say, well, you're right, Mr. President. Thank you for your guidance. I appreciate it. Or are they going to try to be the new left-wing hero and say, this is outrageous. We will not comply. My state will stay locked down because I care about the elderly. We won't see anyone die on my watch. As governor of Virginia, I will not let it happen. You both, we all know what's happening, right? You and me, we know what's going to happen. And so that's the road that he's opened, and it's the road that he's paved. You have allowed these governors to destroy their own economy and in so doing, destroy your economy and get reelected and claim, this is the best part, that it was all for the right reason. All these little tyrants. This guy in Maryland threatening people with a $5,000 fine if they get caught without a face mask in public. 
throwing pastors in jail. They have everything they've ever wanted. And the people are thanking them for it. If you think this country doesn't stay closed on May 1st, got another thing coming. Jesse Kelly. Somebody you probably already know, Howie Carr of the great Howie Carr Show, nationally syndicated New England's undisputed talk radio king, and he's a best-selling author, by the way, I should mention this, of one of my favorite podcasts I've ever listened to, called The Brothers Bolger. Howie Carr, thank you for joining us, sir. Hey, thanks for having me on your show. No, of course. Of course. Uh, Could you tell me a little bit about this E.R. Eats, exactly what is it? How could people get involved? What are you doing, and why are you bothering? Right. Well, you know, this is a uh, tough time for a lot of most people in the country, and hospitals are adversely affected by this. A few are overwhelmed, but most are underwhelmed because there's practically no elective surgeries. There's, uh, There's few inpatient visits to the hospitals. So, the, and for safety reasons, the cafeterias that normally provide food to the uh, hospital personnel, the medical staffers, the ER people, uh, the, the nurses, the physicians, et cetera, uh, they're either operating on severely uh, curtailed hours or they're totally shut down. And so sometimes I think they, I've been told that they, they have to, if they don't bring food in, from their houses, they have to eat from vending machines when they're working, uh, you know, sometimes double shifts. It's a, it's a real pain. On the other hand, you have all the restaurants that are shut down and are, are going out of business or trying to make a go of it just on uh, takeout or, uh, or curbside delivery or something like that. And, you know, that traditionally that's only like under 20% of a restaurant's business. So they're hurting too. So we have a lot of uh, hospital advertisers. We have a, a network of about 25 stations uh, in and around New England. Plus, we're on, uh, you know, nationally on uh, streaming and Newsmax TV for an hour a day. Mm-hmm. So we thought we'd try to help out our hospital advertisers and our uh, restaurant advertisers by uh, raising money for the for to provide money to. Pro- to give meals to the hospital personnel. And our initial thought was, we'll just uh, raise the money through our radio station and uh, and just use our, our restaurant advertisers, just give them money and say, make these deliveries to the hospitals. But then we found out by talking to the hospitals that you know, it's tough to have unsolicited deliveries, uh, random deliveries to hospital emergency rooms. They, you know, for security and health reasons, they can't allow that. So instead, what we're doing is just raising money and then giving it directly to the hospitals. As soon as it comes in, we give it to the hospitals, and then we say, "Can you use this money specifically to buy meals 
from the restaurants in your neighborhood or your your city or town uh, for the for the emergency room personnel and anyone else who's in the hospital. And so we've been doing that for a, a week now, and we've raised a, a ton of money actually. And uh, you know, as soon as the as soon as we raise the money, we send out the checks the next day, and they're already being deposited. And we're we're trying to you know make it better for the hospital personnel. And we're trying to keep these restaurants in business because, well, you know what it's like, uh, Jesse, is it's these restaurants, some of them have been around for 20, 30 years. And, you know, they employ dozens, if not over a hundred people. And uh, they're, they're just, uh, they're on the ropes and uh, they're just trying to hang in there. And we're just trying to help them out. And so we're just asking people to uh, donate, uh, go to my website, howwecarshow.com. And uh, it's right at the top of the top of the homepage, uh, ER Eats, and uh, you can just donate whatever you want, five dollars up to whatever amount. And uh, again, we're, we're turning over a hundred percent of the money to our local hospitals, and uh, they're 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 thanking us. I mean, it's it, it's just a uh, it's it's a way to kind of make the best of a bad situation. Amen. Thank you for what you're doing. HowieCarsShow.com. Remember that. Go to ER, click on the ER Eats, HowieCarsShow.com. If you're sitting around, you're wondering what you can do, you can do something, right, from your phone, from your internet. Do Get something done. And by the way, I misspoke at the beginning. The Brothers Bolger is his book. My podcast that I love was Dirty Rats. I loved it. I've listened to it three times now, Howie. <laughs> can you explain what it's about and why you did it? And people, you need to go download it. It doesn't even cost you anything. Go download it. Yeah, they, they were, uh, there were two brothers in Boston. Uh, William Bulger was the president of the uh, Massachusetts State Senate, basically the most powerful politician in Boston. And his older brother was a guy named uh, Whitey Bulger, originally a bank robber who got into organized crime and basically took over the rackets with the help of the FBI office in Boston uh, and, uh, you know, put all of his uh, competitors in, in prison or killed them. And, uh, you know, he had uh, he basically had uh, the protection in, in one way or another from his brother. Any cops that went after him uh, had their budgets cut. And he he pay he was paying off six agents of the FBI. I mean this uh, this Spygate thing sure. with FBI corruption. It's believe me, it's nothing new. <laughs> <laughs> if you if you lived in Boston, uh, it's uh, we just thought it was a local phenomenon to have this kind of corruption. We had no idea it was going on on a national scale, though. That's the difference. And uh, so this is a story, and it's and it, it's a story that it's not just Boston. You know, they they committed murders in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Miami, Florida. There's actually, I'm down in Florida right now. Uh, I've been down here now. I'm stuck down here uh, because of the situation in Massachusetts. One of the uh, FBI agents that uh, we deal with in the in the podcast is actually imprisoned about 10 miles from where I work every day, Jess. He's down <laughs> on the shores of Lake Okeechobee for the, uh, he's, uh, he's doing He's doing a state life sentence on a uh, gangland hit in Miami. Oh. An FBI agent. Gosh, I'll <laughs> tell you what, the corruption runs deep. One more time, howiecarshow.com. They just click on ERE so they can give right there, right? 
Yeah, you can give right there, and anything five, five bucks, uh, anything uh, you know, whatever you want, but five bucks on up, and uh, it's 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 for a great cause, and a hundred percent is going right to the hospitals, and it's going right to the restaurants, and it's providing uh, meals for these guys that are just, uh, you know, the hospitals are hurt and bad, Jesse. They, mm-hmm. they just thought talking about it. They they laid off seven hundred and fifty at hospitals in New Hampshire yesterday. Mm-hmm. You know, it's everybody's being affected by this. Yeah, it is. Uh... It is it is some trying times right now. Howie, thank you so much for what you do. I'm a big fan anyway. I appreciate you, sir. Thank you. We're going to try to have second season of Dirty Rats uh, when this thing's over. Oh. We've already got some some episodes laid in. We'll, oh. we'll get we'll get back working on it again. <laughs> that is the best news I've heard. People, I'm not kidding. Not only do you need to give to ER Eats, it's free. Go download Dirty Rats. You will be. I, I listened. I knew lots of the story, and I was just sitting there with my jaw hanging open of all the stuff that I found out. Howie Carr, thank you. Thank you, Jesse. Bye bye. Bye. Uh, those Bolger brothers, man. and you know what was really amazing about the Dirty Rats thing. And I'm not going to ruin it for you because I want to. Da- I want you to download the podcast. It's not mine. It's not like I get anything from it. But you guys know I pump other people's stuff all the time. I just found it interesting. What was amazing about the Dirty Rats podcast? It wasn't all the Whitey Bolger stuff. People know some of the Whitey Bolger story. Obviously, a lot of that movie, The Departed, with Jack Nicholson and Leonardo DiCaprio. A lot of that was based on Whitey Bolger. Not necessarily a true story, but it followed a lot of what he did. So a lot of people are aware of Whitey Bulger. It was his brother that really floored me. His brother was president of the Massachusetts State Senate, as as Howie just said. And the amount of power his brother had and the things his brother did to protect his mob boss brother was just download the podcast. Trust me. Dirty Rats podcast. It is organized crime, murder, corruption, bribery. It's 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 got all the stuff you love. Trust me, <laughs> it's got all the stuff you love. All right, it's time we start talking about Hennessy as a solution, Chris. There's a there's a solution for coronavirus. Someone has found it. I'll tell you. Hang on. Governor Mike Sonko to give Nairobi residents Hennessy in the fight against coronavirus. <laughs> I love this story. Nairobi Governor Mike Sonko is giving out alcohol to Nairobi residents as he intensifies measures to fight coronavirus. The governor said he, he would, they forgot a word there, he would give small bottles of Hennessy to food packages given to the less fortunate in his region to enhance their fight. During a press conference on Tuesday, the boss claimed research conducted by the White House, or the White House, the the World Health Organization, has revealed alcohol played a major role in the fight against the virus. I don't think that, I don't think that's probably how that works. 
Actually, I take that back, Chris. I take that back. Hang on a second. Quote, we shall be giving a small bottle of Hennessy in the food packages we're giving out to people. I think the research done by the White World Health Organization and various health organizations' health action has revealed that alcohol plays a major role in killing the coronavirus and any other virus. Chris, I'm about to say something controversial. I know you're going to find that shocking. I kind of agree. Hear me out. Hear me out. I am not touting the health benefits overall of alcohol. I am not. I will tell you this, however. I have known one or two people in my life with an alcohol problem. Okay, I've known a lot more than one or two. May have struggled with it myself from time to time. They don't ever get sick. Think about it. How often does your idiot alcoholic brother get sick? Uh, yes, he's a grease fire. His life's a disaster. He had his license removed. He got he's on his fifth divorce. I understand that. I'm not again, I'm not championing alcoholism here, but how often do they get sick? And uh, granted, I'm not a doctor. I do have almost three years of community college credits, but I'm no doctor. Explain to me. Doesn't alcohol, if this is something that happens in the throat, apparently this, this, you know, stop, Chris, stop. This is something that happens in your throat. Starts in your throat. That's what they say. And it's a virus. Well, what? What do you disinfect things with? Anyone? What do you disinfect things with? Is this radical? And this is, by the way, this has no medical basis whatsoever. I'm totally going off on this. But explain to me, what do you disinfect? Yeah, that's right. Various forms of chemicals or alcohol. People have been using alcohol to disinfect things for ages. You know that that wine they talk about all the time? You know in the Bible? Chris, I think they did it in the Old Testament, too, so you'll know what I'm talking about here. It's They always talk about wine. You know, Jesus turned water into wine. Not that Chris would believe in him or something like that. But in the Old Testament, they're talking about wine and wineskins. So much of that was extremely watered-down wine. They added wine to their water. Why? Not to get hammered. To kill the various forms of bacteria and germs in the water because alcohol kills it. It cleans up their water. It's a, it's a form of, you know, water sanitation. Alcohol kills bacteria. Alcohol kills germs. Alcohol kills viruses. So, again, I'm not, not a doctor, but let's say I get a little, little smidge of coronavirus in the back of my throat, if that's where it starts. Take a big old pull off a whiskey bottle. The good stuff. You know, I drink Jim Beam. That doesn't kill the virus in my throat. Chris, we need to get a doctor on. We need to get a doctor on and make sure you prep him for the fact I'm going to be asking him about this. Honestly, tell me, does the alcohol somehow lose its disinfecting properties when it hits the back of my throat? Clearly, there's still alcohol in the alcohol by the time it gets past my lips and my teeth and gets to the back of my throat, right? Chris? 
Tell me I'm wrong. If it's something that grows in the throat, that starts in the throat, maybe there's something to it. And again, I'll ask. Who's that alcoholic you know that's ever sick? I mean, yes, their skin is falling off their face. And they're 35 and they look 65. And their liver turned into green mush a long time ago. Life expectancy has dropped to 42. Flat, broken, busted, but they're never sick. They're never sick. And you know I'm right, Chris. We're going to get in so much trouble for this, but I'm still right. That alcohol hits the back of my throat where a couple little little virus cells are growing back there. Those cells are going to die, aren't they? Or at least there's a chance of them dying. Mitchell, am I crazy? I'm telling you, we're on to something here. You know what? I'm getting a bottle of Hennessy on the way home. Actually, that sounds way too expensive. I'll get some Jim Beam or something. Is Hennessy expensive, Chris? I've only had it one time. Do you not drink vodka? Why vodka? I mean, I don't mind vodka, but why vodka? I mean, I don't. I don't mind a good Tito's, or or, or if, you know, if someone else is buying Grey Goose or something like that. Kettle one, but why vodka? That's such a weird selection. Why not bourbon like a man? It does mix with anything. It does, You know, I had a buddy one time. He used to drink vodka and Gatorade because he swore he was hydrating as he was drinking it. <laughs> it's actually not a terrible theory now that I think about it. Hey, do we have any Gatorade? Hang on one second. One second. Did you know that if you missed any part of the Jesse Kelly show today, you can catch the whole thing, which will be podcasted as soon as Chris stops screwing things up. It's basically right after the show. I'll give him 10 or 15 minutes and then it's normally done. But the whole show is available on iHeart, Google, Spotify, Apple. And if you want to email me once again, I cannot promise I will email you back. I probably won't because I get too many. I will read it. I read every single one of them. Jesse at jessekellyshow.com. Again, that's jesse at jessekellyshow.com. So fire away. I enjoy them. I like that you are loving the show so much. You're welcome to fire away with some insults too. I like those too. That's all. This is the Jesse Kelly Show. Newton Group Transfer. They are here to help you if you're stuck in a timeshare. These stories from people 
who have these timeshares and can't get out of them, they're shocking. These timeshare companies, not all of them, but so many, they get their hooks into you and you can't give them up. You can't give them up or they'll, they'll do things like they charge you thousands of dollars. One girl, she got past her timeshare when her mother passed away. She gets past the timeshare, doesn't want the timeshare, doesn't use the timeshare. They tell her she can get out of it for $4,000. She has to come up with a $4,000 check. This is not right, it's unjust, and Newton Group Transfers is here to help you. If you are in a timeshare and want out or know someone who is, call 888-845-3773. That's 888-84-JESSE, or go to timesharejesse.com, Newton Group Transfer. They will help you out. I'm Hannah Storm, and my new podcast, NBA DNA with Hannah Storm, chronicles my six decades in professional basketball, from growing up in the sport to becoming one of sports TV's first female broadcasters. Join me as I dig deep into the game's history, unearth some wild stories, and talk to my friends from the world of basketball, from Dr. J to Charles Barkley. It's been a wild ride, and now I get to take you with me. Listen to NBA DNA with Hannah Storm on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleh Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 